Lord, we come to your word this morning and we're aware that that some passages are difficult, more difficult than others. And yet, Lord, too often the difficulty is not in understanding the words, but in, in our hearts being receptive to what you're saying to us. Lord, open our ears, help us to hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches, to our church, to us individually. Lord, guide what is said, now guide what is heard. Give us hearts, Lord, to hear you speaking to us. In Jesus' name, Amen. What is your idea of Jesus? Many people expect Jesus to be meek and mild, gentle and lowly, the one who just welcomes people unconditionally, forgives unconditionally, is merciful, is gracious, at times heals, will certainly be, we will have healing, complete healing and restoration in the world to come. How often do people think of Jesus as the one who judges, as the one who has harsh words? This passage is a challenge to us from that point of view. We even see that Jesus threatens to put people to death if they do not turn back from their sin. Not only will Jesus on the judgment day judge and condemn to eternal punishment all who have continued in sin, but he also, even now on occasions, and more often we don't know, we can't say, he judges people here and now. Sometimes our judgment doesn't have to wait until eternity. Sometimes we experience God's discipline, God's judgment here and now. The image of Jesus in Revelation chapter 2 here is often a challenge to us. Is it? Is this our image of Jesus? Judge, the one who roots out sin? The one who cleared the temple from those who had turned the place where sin was atoned for, the place where people were to come and meet God and be reconciled to God, the temple in Jerusalem, and yet people had turned it into a marketplace where they could make money. They totally misunderstood the whole purpose of the temple. It was to reconcile people to God and to facilitate worship of God. And too often we want to see love and forgiveness, but we really struggle with with the idea of God being a judge, a judge of sin, either on the judgment day or here and now. Although when things happen against us, we're a bit quick to call God's judgment out on people. Many people react against God judging sin for, for a number of reasons. <coughs> Firstly, we don't know God as well as we ought to. We, we underestimate how evil sin is. We underestimate how evil a sinful heart really is. We make light of sin. We tend to do that all the time. But the closer we get to God, the closer people find that that they are so unworthy to even come into his presence, they feel 
even as believers, because God is so holy. The further we are from God, the less serious we think sin is. And so if we don't think sin is too serious, that's a sign that we're really far from God. Another problem is that people don't want to give up their sin. We want to hold on to sin and we don't want to be judged for sinning because that will come down negatively on us. And we don't realise how, how holy, how perfect, how sinless God is. So these are some of the reasons why people react against God being a judge, <clears throat> judging sin. In fact, many people also have a, a completely wrong idea of how God relates to them, what their relationship with God ought to be. We were looking last Wednesday evening on creation and the fact that we have been created to love God, to worship him with all our heart, mind, soul and strength and to love our neighbour as ourselves. To love God and to love neighbour. We are the meaning of life. The reason we are here is to love others, God and neighbour. And yet too often the meaning of life for us, sin has turned that on its head and we are self-centred, self-focused. We think of ourselves and those who are important to us. Yet far too many people, life is about self-indulgence, self-centredness. We focus on ourselves and we expect God to focus on us as well. We expect God to simply be there to be our helper. When life, isn't go- when life is going the way we want it to go, we don't need God. And when life isn't going the way it ought to go, sure isn't God just there to fix things, to get my life back on track, to bless me? We don't realize that, that our lives are there to give glory to him. He created us. We are his. He has the right to expect obedience from us. Imagine somebody who opens a, a restaurant chain, a famous chef who opens a restaurant chain and employs lots of people, giving them great great jobs, a great opportunity. And he then goes and, and visits some of his restaurants and these restaurants have his name on the front of them and yet instead of providing world-class food at a good price that people can afford, he goes in and he finds some of the managers have turned these restaurants on their heads. Instead of providing good food, they're also providing... Well, some of them have turned into strip clubs. They're doing all kinds of things that they oughtn't to do. And when he comes and challenges them, they says, we can do what we want. What are, what are you, who are you to come and talk to us? They don't realize that he's paying their wages. It's his name that's on the door. Many ignore him. Some change. But many don't. In the same way, God has given us the opportunity to live and to love others. He has put his image in us. We bear his name. And yet so often, instead of living as we ought to, we, 
we go off into sin. And when he comes and challenges us, we say, who are you to tell us what to do? We can do what we want. People don't realize that they can't. We were created to love God, to serve God. In life, we often think of ourselves as, as victims of other, what other people do. We even blame God for allowing things to happen to us. We don't blame ourselves for the things that we have done. And very often we, we suffer at the hands of others. But when it comes to us and God, we often blame this, that and everything rather than accept the responsibility ourselves. And God calls us to accept our responsibility and to turn back to him. And when he comes and threatens us with judgment, that is not because he wants to judge and condemn us. That's because he wants to warn us. Jesus said, For the Son of Man will come with his angels in the glory of his Father and will judge all people according to their deeds. Paul writes, For he has set a day for judging the world with justice by the man he has appointed, and he proved to everyone who this is by raising him from the dead. He will judge everyone according to what they have done. Paul writes in Romans chapter 2. He will give eternal life to those who keep on doing good, seeking after the glory and honour and immortality that God offers. But he will pour out his anger and wrath on those who live for themselves, who refuse to obey the truth and instead live lives of wickedness. There will be trouble and calamity for everyone who keeps on doing what is evil, for the Jew first and also for the Gentile. But there will be glory and honour and peace from God for all who do good, for the Jew first and also for the Gentile, for God does not show favoritism. God warns us so that we will not end up receiving his judgment, his condemnation. He warns us that that that's what's ahead so that we will turn to him. If we trust, if we place our faith in Jesus, if we turn back to God, then he says, you're a chosen people, you're royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. And we are called to holiness. This is the message we heard from Jesus and now declare to you. John writes, God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing the truth. But if we are living, but if we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. We ought to have been holy. We will be judged if we are not holy blameless before God but he offers us a way to become blameless to receive the righteousness of Christ through faith to be a holy blameless people turning from sin and turning to him and it's to this kind of church that Jesus writes now to Thyatira 
a church that has turned to him and has got some good works going for them. He commends them. But he also has to warn them because they have tolerated sin in their midst. The first thing we can learn from this passage that we've read is that Jesus demands, he has the right to demand, holy obedience instead of disobedience. He writes, John writes the words of Jesus, I know all the things you do. I've seen your love, your faith, your service, and your patient endurance. And I can see your constant improvement in all these things. It's a wonderful commendation. But, he says, I have this complaint against you. You're permitting that woman, that Jezebel who calls herself a prophet, to lead my servants astray. She teaches them to commit sexual sin and to eat food offered to idols. This is in the church. The church in Corinth was a very immature church when Paul writes and discusses sexual sin with them. They're coming out of a culture where that was the norm. But here is a relatively mature church and they've got so much good that the Lord commends them for. And yet, there are these sins happening within the church. The name Jezebel is used symbolically to make a connection with, with this woman from what she's doing and, and leading people astray with the evil woman, King Ahab's wife in the Old Testament, who led the people astray to worship the, the so-called God Baal alongside the one true God. In the Old Testament, when the people were unfaithful, it will be compared with unfaithful to God, it would be compared to being unfaithful in a marriage, committing adultery. And so sexual sin is sometimes seen as being symbolic of being unfaithful to God. But commentators seem quite unanimous in the fact that this was not something that symbolized their unfaithfulness, their sin in other ways. This was actual sin. Not just taking part in food offered to other gods, but involved in the the sins that, that go along with that. And this woman is leading many people astray. One of the problems at that time was that in order to be a part of a guild, and Thyatira was a, a sort of more of an industrial city than many, in order to be able to work, people needed to be part of guilds, business groups. You couldn't do business if you weren't part of one of these guilds. And so their very livelihoods were, were affected by their religion. They were expected to worship the Roman emperor and the local gods as part of these guilds. They were expected to just conform to the local public opinion, the prevailing opinion, the prevailing worldview. And to go against that as Christians meant that they were ostracized not only socially but in terms of business. They would struggle to make ends meet. And yet we're we're told not to compromise with the world but to be holy. 
Moses says, For I am the Lord your God. You must consecrate yourselves and be holy, because I am holy. Peter says, focusing on on that verse, quoting that verse later on, he writes, But now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say, You must be holy because I am holy. Holiness, purity, that is what we ought to be like because that's what God is like. That's what his redeemed people ought to be like. So God, Jesus has the right to demand obedience instead of disobedience. One of the things we see in this passage in the way Jesus describes himself is that he has insight. He can see into people's hearts and minds. Introducing himself, he writes, Write this letter to the angel of the church in Thyatira. This is the message from the Son of God, whose eyes are like flames of fire, whose feet are like polished bronze. Whatever the eyes of are like flames of fire means, the Lord focuses on his eyes. He can see. The Lord can see everything that we are doing, even when others don't. And eyes of fire, fire often signifies anger and judgment in the Bible. And the Lord having eyes of, that are like flames of fire is that he's looking and he's seeing and he's angry at what is going on. Nothing is hid from his eyes. Nothing will escape his judgment. And yet, God is gracious and he calls us to repent of sin, to turn back from sin. Repent is one of those technical words in the Bible. It simply means to turn, like a 180 degree turn, completely around. Going in one direction, the path of sin, turning around and going in the path of God. Jesus said about himself to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer on the third day and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. Repentance and faith are two sides of a coin. We trust that God forgives us because on the the flip side we turn for forgiveness. We turn away from sin for forgiveness. It's not possible to ask God for forgiveness from the bottom of our hearts while at the same time not wanting to turn away from the things that we're doing. Jesus is called on the woman in the church to repent. He says, I gave her time to repent, but she does not want to turn away from him her immorality. Jesus is patient. Jesus gives us opportunities. He encourages us. He, he speaks to us. And we need to repent before him. We need to not use his patience as an excuse, as a reason for just keeping on doing what we're doing. Because one day, the time will be up. And Jesus will judge the obedient and the disobedient. 
If you're a loving parent, what do you do with a child who is repeatedly disobedient and who refuses to listen to your advice and warnings? Some things in life are serious and you need to teach them. You need to prepare them. Little children going near an open fire, it's dangerous if they put their hand in to touch the yellow flames. They need to be taught. Teenagers need to learn discipline that they can't just go out and stay all night in in different homes and just live how they might be tempted and how others might be doing it. We need discipline. Loving parents discipline their children. It might be taking away privileges, taking away people's tablets, phones, electronics. It really hits hard on some children these days. Being grounded, getting no pocket money. There's different ways we discipline our children to bring them up, to help them to understand that they ought to live and there's consequences for doing what is wrong. And so too the Lord disciplines those he loves and punishes each one he accepts as his child. It's out of love for us that the Lord disciplines us. It's out of love for his people that Jesus speaks strong words to his church. He says here, Therefore I will throw her on a bed of suffering, and those who commit adultery with her will suffer greatly unless they repent and turn away from her evil deeds. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am the one who searches out the thoughts and intentions of every person and I will give to each of you whatever you deserve. Those are some strong words. But those are the words of Jesus. I will strike her children dead. <clears throat> it's generally thought that <coughs> this doesn't refer to her literal children but figuratively to those who who are following in her footsteps, following her lead, who are persistently sinning, unfaithful to God. For those who are believers who are sinning, this death does not result in their lack of salvation. Those who have come to the Lord, even though they sin, if the Lord were to judge them for their sin in such a way as this, that does not necessarily mean that they lose their salvation. But it means that they have they've been judged here and now in the short term. But they will keep their salvation in the long term. The reason for judging people is not just that sin needs to be punished. God could wait and just punish all sin on the judgment day. But he punishes sin now so that we will learn. I can't remember their names. I can't remember people's names. Was it Ananias and Sapphira who sinned against the Holy Spirit by withholding some of the money that they had got for something that they had purchased, sold? And they lied to the church leaders. They lied to the Holy Spirit. And they both were dead that same day. God's judgment came upon them. The reason 
that that judgment came upon them was significantly because God wanted to let people know that he does not tolerate sin, that you can't do this kind of thing if you're walking in the Spirit, if you're close with God. He doesn't allow, he doesn't want these things in his church. Church ought not to be where sin is allowed. If people do not repent of sin, they ought not to be forgiven in church. That is the only context in which we ought not to forgive people if they do not repent. Other people outside, even within church, at a personal level, if someone sins against us, we are to forgive them unconditionally, as is in the Lord's Prayer, as we have forgiven those who sinned against us. But in the church, for the holiness of God's people, for the holiness of the church, for, the, for his namesake, he does not allow people to be things to go un, undealt with, swept under the carpet. And yet, we mustn't make too much of this. We mustn't read into everything that happens, that this is God's judgment on people. Most of the time, the vast majority of the time, we're just living in a fallen world. And things that go wrong are because we're just suffering the same things that other people suffer. We cannot point to somebody and say, they must have done something wrong. Jesus speaks against that to his disciples. We can only say that something is a judgment from God if God tells us explicitly in his word that it is. We can imagine maybe if somebody's been living a life that's so against God and something bad happens to them, we can wonder. But we cannot say. And yet, Jesus calls us to live a life of obedience and he rewards us. He rewards the obedient and he gives the reward of condemnation to the disobedient. I know all the things you do. I've seen your love, your faith, your service and your patient endurance. And I can see your constant improvement in all these things. There are only some in the church who have sinned, not all. And some have fallen for, for tempting teaching that they need to learn these deep things that people say. Presumably of God, some people would teach, as this woman Jezebel had been teaching, you need to know more, you need to get into the deep things of God. Let me show you the deep things of God. And before they realise it, before they know it, some people are enticed into, into sin. And as Jesus says here, I also have a message for the rest of you in Thyatira who have not followed this false teaching, deeper truths, as they call them, depths of Satan, actually. Deeper truths of God, they might say, but actually deeper truths of Satan, Jesus says. We've got to be on our guard. People love to find something new. People love to be amongst the, an elite, you know, those who have more knowledge than others. We must resist that temptation. That's what tempt. That was the first sin. That was the first sin that came to mankind. You will have more knowledge. You will have something special that you don't have. 
we've got to resist that. There was a there was a teaching called Gnosticism that had come in later on in the early church uh, that you needed to get the hidden truths of God. This doesn't seem to have been that. It's too early for that in the history of Gnosticism. This seems to be, as many commentators would say, that some warped view that that this woman Jezebel was teaching and maybe others at other places we're not sure but this teaching that somehow for Christians to show their victory over sin they, they and because they are in the spirit not the, the flesh that they can indulge in the things of the flesh and it won't affect them there's always a warped logic to sin whatever the logic they were taking part in these things. And we can look back and say, that's terrible. How could they have given in to that? And yet sin is so deceptive. And churches fall for sin. And it seems reasonable to them. In the United States, and especially in the southern states, and in South Africa, apartheid, there was discrimination against black people, African Americans and black people and people who appeared to be good Christians in white churches would not let a black person into their church. That's shocking. And they would sing worship to God. They would appear to be doing everything great apart from this shocking thing that was going on that they tolerated it compromised with the world, with sinful views. What is it that we might be compromising with today? Either as a church, either as Christianity in the Western world, or as an individual church, or even individually ourselves as, as individuals. What might be our blind spot Five out of the seven churches in Revelation find that the Lord criticizes them, has something significant against them. Only two don't. It is possible to be amongst those who the Lord doesn't have anything against. And we must seek to be like those two churches. We must seek to to not compromise with the world. We must seek to be faithful and to persevere, to walk in holiness and to root out evil. And yet Jesus, strong as he is against sin, he is gentle and he encourages his people to be faithful and persevere. He says, I will ask nothing more of you except that you hold tightly to what you have until I come. To all who are victorious, who obey me to the very end, To them I will give authority over all the nations. They will rule the nations with a rod, an iron rod, and smash them like clay pots. That's a reference back to Psalm 2, that Jesus' rule will be strong. They will have the same authority I received from my Father, and I will also give them the morning star. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. Verse 
some commentators refer to what the Jerusalem Council told the non-Jews, the Gentiles, uh, after Paul went to them, they thought that Judaism, the Jews, were the Israelites were the, the people of God and that they, how do they cope with the Gentiles, those who are the other nations? They didn't follow the, the laws of circumcision and, f- and certain food laws. Should they? Should they be cultu- do cultural conversion as well? In the end, the Jerusalem Council says no. Only two things. Don't eat food offered to idols and don't be involved in sexual immorality. These very two things that later on this church are involved in. And so when Jesus says, I'm not going to, I'm not going to add anything more to you, it's almost the same wording that the Jerusalem Council used in giving these commands to the church, the Gentile church. It's almost as if he's saying, stick to what the the Jerusalem Council had said. And to everyone who is faithful, he promises to give them a share in his authority, which Psalm 2 shows is authority over the world, victory over the nations, and against all who rebel against God. The morning star seems to symbolize the presence of Christ, because that is how he is described in Revelation Chapter 22, verse 16. Jesus encourages his people to be faithful and persevere. So, what do we learn from what Jesus says to this church? We learn that he takes sin seriously, far more seriously than we do at times. He sees all that we do. And he warns us, he calls us to repentance. Our lives should be continually turning back to him. Turning back to him in large things and in small things. And once we've turned in one thing, we have to, the Lord points out another, we turn back on it as well. That's what we ought to be doing. Continually turning more and more and drawing closer and closer to him. And yet he calls us to repentance. He warns us. And he may judge us severely if we don't. What do we need to, to turn from? What's wrong in our lives, in our church, in the churches that we know? And yet, he calls us to come for forgiveness. Because there is forgiveness. Because he has died on the cross that we might be forgiven. The cross is not simply the place where we receive forgiveness. The cross is the place where God punished sin because sin deserves punishment. The cross teaches us that sin is serious. But it also teaches us that God is loving and merciful and gracious and forgiving. And there is a way for our sin to be dealt with that we do not have to suffer the condemnation ourselves. He wants us to come. There's a fountain of forgiveness through the blood of Jesus if we come in his name. Some practical things. We must be careful who we follow. 
what we listen to, what we accept. Sometimes in some churches, people say things, people teach things, and they're not challenged because they've got great reputations within the church. And that is a door, that opens the door to them being able to say things that are unbiblical. If people are accepting what they say on the basis of their reputation instead of on the basis of what God's Word teaches, it's only a matter of time before they or someone else will start introducing things that are a distortion of what God's Word says. We ought to continually, like the Bereans that we read of in Acts, examining according to God's Word what we hear. We must not listen too carefully to self-proclaimed prophets. You don't find those too often in churches. You might get the odd little church or even big church where somebody sets themselves up. But more often we find self-proclaimed prophets on YouTube these days. Somebody with a message that sounds interesting or enticing. And they're just promoting themselves through what they're teaching. And we must resist any teaching that goes openly against what is clearly God's word. We must re- resist the temptation for, for something new. For seeking fulfillment, a, a boost to our spirituality and things which are new. Over the last several decades, or a few decades at least, I know individ- I know people in personally individuals and I've read of many more who are just not getting what they want from God's word from following him as they ought to and they're looking somewhere else they're looking to other forms of spirituality other religions other teachings to give them that boost that they feel that they need to give them what is lacking they've lost their focus on Jesus the only thing which will really give them what they need is if they get their focus back on Jesus and draw even closer to him. We must stick to the old, old story. The old hymn goes, Tell me the old, old story. Uh, Tell me the story often, for I forget too soon. Tell me the old, old story of Jesus and his love. If we're not getting what we need, well, draw closer to Jesus. Don't be looking for something else. Sometimes we need to call people out for heresy. Sometimes if they won't listen, we need to leave the church or the church need, part of the church needs to leave them. Sometimes a church or part of it Part of a denomination needs to break away to be separate from sinful things. That has happened many times because churches tend to go off track and those who want to remain faithful to God need to part company with their denominations. The Methodist Church broke away from the Anglican Church in the 1700s, a revival movement to get closer to God. In the 1800s, the Brethren movement did exactly the same. To get closer to God, it broke away from the Anglican Church. And there have been those who have been calling for similar 
movements that people should be more holy, that their church should break away. There's other denominations have started for exactly this reason. And people will criticize the the splintering of churches. And yes, too often there are churches that start up for superficial reasons, insignificant reasons. But sometimes it is the only right thing to do to separate from those who will not and have a pattern of turning away more and more from God's word. And yet sometimes if you're within a church and you don't have another option, the thing to do is remain faithful yourself. There are instances, even in Ireland, of people who have, like one family in Kilkenny, the Harper family, they remain faithful in Kilkenny Presbyterian Church to God's word. Even when liberal theology came in and the rest of the church was was falling for all different kinds of, of teaching, this family, this extended family, prayed and prayed and prayed and remained faithful to God. And eventually... A gospel preacher came and the situation was turned around and revival came to that church. Sometimes the thing to do is to stick there, to stay there and to work it through. Sometimes the thing to do is to part company. But whatever we do, we should be seeking to get closer to God. And we can do that in our individual lives. Even if we don't see a revival in our church, we can see a revival in our own lives. We must draw closer to God because he is holy and he expects us to be holy and he provides the way for us to be holy through faith in Jesus, through the atonement, the punishment of sin on the cross, the forgiveness of sins out of his love and mercy towards us through faith in Jesus and what he has done for us on the cross. Jesus demands holiness. He rightly demands holiness. But he also allows us and provides a way for us to be holy through the forgiveness of the cross and by the, in, by the working of the Spirit inside us. The Holy Spirit. The Spirit of Holiness. So let's, let's draw even closer to God. Let's walk in holiness. Let's be more aware of what is sinful and turn from it. And let's draw closer to him. And let's anticipate his, his commendation and his pleasure over us. And let's enjoy being in his presence, in his holy presence. In Jesus' name, let's pray. Lord, we come to you now and we are so aware of our own sin. Lord, personally we come and we, we ask for your forgiveness. We turn from sin and we thank you that we are reconciled by the blood of Jesus on the cross. Lord, as a church, we come to you now and we ask that you would Draw us even closer to yourself. Lord, if there's anything that we need to do differently, point it out to us. And Lord, lead us and guide us that we may draw closer to you and give you more glory 
and experience that closer relationship with you. And Lord, guide us into the future. Protect us from the enemy. Protect us, Lord, from the deception that often appears to be light. Lord, keep us close to your word. Keep us close to yourself. Protect us. In Jesus' name, amen.